We've been studying together um, the attributes of God. We've been, been talking about what it is to, to know God as He has revealed Himself to us. Today we come to another of the heavy attributes of God. In some ways when we talk about God, every attribute is heavy. But we're going to talk about today the justice of God, or that our God is a just God. And so I want to look at it in, in, in kind of four parts. Number one, what is the justice of God? And then understanding His justice, you begin to realize that a part of His justice is what is called divine judgment. And the, the reality of the fact that we're, gonna, we're going to experience or we're going to stand before His divine judgment. And then the third part today is what is the basis of that divine judgment? And then the last part is the escape clause that Jesus gives to us. So I want to look at this scripture. This is one of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, often what happens is we only focus on the last part of this, but he said all these things together, and in it you see very clearly, if you look, you'll see the justice of God, and then you'll see the mercy of God. So uh, I want us to read this together. I like when we read out loud the Word of God as the church. So let's read God's Word together. It's on your bulletin. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I want to start this off this morning. I want to, I want to, I want to tell you from personal experience that in life, you have to have an anchor in the storms of your life. You need to have a base, a place where you know there's something solid, there's something that is not only knowable, but, but a fixed place in your life. And what I found to really make the difference was actually taught to me when I was a, a Bible college student and a seminary student. It was this statement. One of my professors said this. You're required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. Now, 
the issue with many of us is we are uncomfortable with certain parts of the Bible. And what you have to learn is your discomfort with the Bible is your issue, not the Bible's issue. When you are uncomfortable with something, you have to look at your own heart, not try to change what the Bible teaches. If you do so, you will have no anchor for your soul. You will have no fixed base, no safe place, no place that is secure. Now, when we talk about the justice of God, we're talking about something that is very uncomfortable. So I want to contrast, I want to explain the justice of God, of God while using also the terms that we really need in our life and, and because of His justice, we need mercy and we need grace. Now, the way our brains work in a natural way is we tend to only see things in two categories. We say this is just or this is unjust. This is justice or this is injustice kind of a thing. Even as a little kid, you, you'll say, this is fair or this is unfair. This is right. This is wrong. And, and our, our brains tend to get fixed on this kind of a thing, those two categories. And in a sense, that is, those two are the categories of justice. But God has introduced a completely new category a category that is neither justice nor is it injustice. And it's mercy. And it's grace. Now mercy is defined this way. Mercy is you deserve something bad, but it is withheld from you. You deserve punishment, but you don't receive the punishment. That's mercy. To have what you deserve withheld from you. Uh, when you or I... Um, commit cosmic treason by speeding, uh, we know that none of us in here want justice. We want mercy. And even sometimes people will talk about a 10-mile grace. That, uh, right? Anybody thought through that? Most of us drive that. Uh, you know, your 10-mile grace, you're not going to give me a ticket if I'm 10 miles over the speed limit. You know, what? Well, in a way, what we're talking about with grace is grace is you're given something you don't deserve. You haven't worked for. You don't merit. Whereas mercy is if you're 10 miles over the speed limit and you don't get a ticket, the punishment for your offense has been withheld. So mercy is withholding what you deserve and grace is giving you what you do not deserve. And so God has created an entire category that is just so different. And the issue with many of us in this room is we mix the two. We want justice when people hurt us. But we want mercy when we hurt others. We will yell and scream if somebody in some way we feel like gets punished greater than they deserve, but we will also yell and scream if people are not punished when they've hurt us or when they've hurt somebody that we love. And so we are people who mix our categories. And the, the, the issue, my friends, particularly if you've ever said this to God, how could you let this happen to me? Why does he, this always happen to me? What's happening right there is you are mixing mercy and grace with justice. 
And you need, I, I tell you, friends, you need to understand the justice of God or you'll never understand the mercy of God. So let me give you some more explanation here. Mercy manifests the kindness and, and the grace and does no violence to the righteousness of God. We see mercy and grace as a kind of non-justice in God. His mercy, but we will never, and when we see His mercy, we'll never see God in any way, shape, or form act in injustice. Listen, what we've been talking about this whole time is that the attributes of God are the essence of God. Every attribute is His essence. He will never operate separate from His attributes. His nature is His attributes. His attributes are His nature. He never puts aside His justice so that He can love you, and He never puts aside His love so He can be just. He is always, always God at all times. And when you start accusing Him, what's happening is you don't understand Him. You are making demands on Him that you have no idea what you're doing. As a matter of fact, friends, every single moment of every breath you take is the mercy of God. So the justice of God is always an expression of His holy character and He will never act apart from being just. He will always be just in everything that He does. Now, there are many people, and, and if you listen closely, you will hear many people say, there's the God of the Old Testament and there's the God of the New Testament. We don't like the God of the Old Testament and we like the God of the New Testament. And, 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 and what, the reason is they do not understand the justice of God. And the, the Old Testament shows a lot of, 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 of what is righteousness, what is holiness, what is the, the, the true justice of God. And one famous theologian said it this way. He said, the real mystery is not that a holy and righteous God should exercise justice. The mystery is that he tolerates rebellious creatures. You see, and what, what many of us don't understand, partly because a lot of really false religious teaching has come down to many of us to believe that there are these various levels of sin and these levels of sin are all behavioral issues. If you grew up with the idea that there are mortal sins and venial sins, that is religion, not biblical. That is not biblical truth, friends. Every sin is a capital crime against God. Now let me, let me explain what I mean, and let me explain why religion will not work for you. When you obey out of fear, particularly the fear of consequences or the fear of punishment, when you're just being obedient to avoid consequences, the obedience is still all about you. It is you-centered. It is avoidance-centered. It is consequent, you know, avoiding-centered. So it's all about you. So it's still sin. It's self-centered. Do you understand? The whole of the law of God is summed up in two commandments. And they are not obey the Lord your God because you're going to get it if you don't. The two commandments are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
But when you're obeying out of fear, you're not loving Him. You're only loving you. When you simply obey and you know, keep the commandments in order to not get thrown in jail or get tickets or whatever it is, then you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. So, obedience that comes from fear is sin. It is never obedience. It's false. So, even in the slightest sin that you or I do, that we think we're just little sinners, we defy the authority of God, we insult His majesty, we are challenging His justice. The problem is that we have become so hardened in our hearts about these things and have become the judges in ourselves of what is right and wrong, what is fair and unfair, that we have consciences that have been seared. And there is nothing worse than a seared conscience when it no longer shames you, when it no longer embarrasses you, when there is no longer the ability to blush, we have gone too far. Now, are you tracking with me a little? You're like, why did I come this morning? <laughs> See, the, the problem that, that happens in the church, though, I, we're going to talk a little bit about the problems in the world with the justice of God, but there's a problem in the church. And the problem is that in the church is, is Christians begin to expect and to demand grace. And, and, and not understanding that the forbearing mercy of God is actually Him patiently waiting for you to repent. Waiting for you to come to your senses and realize that the life you've been living apart from God does not work. And even to come to the place where you realize that your religious exercises and activities have not made you a better person, have just made you a better hypocrite. So we, what happens is we begin to take God's mercy for granted. Then we start assuming that we deserve His mercy. And then we start demanding His mercy. Now let me go back to the illustration. The policeman has pulled you over for being 10 miles over the speed limit. And you say, sir, everybody does this. They all go 10 miles over the speed limit. I demand mercy. He will write very quickly. And you will appear before court. And you will have it on your record. And he probably will take points off your driver's license. Because you have stupidly demanded what can only be freely given. And you have misplaced your understanding. You have mixed justice with mercy. See, many times what happens is people begin demanding of God. They're demanding grace. They're demanding mercy. Any demand you have is justice. It is based on performance. It is based on what you earn. It is based on what you have deserved with your life. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, I had a student one time. Well, actually, I had a class that I taught, I, I hated the class, it was, a, it was an Old Testament class, and I was teaching them Hebrew, and I'm not that great at Hebrew. And so I was teaching them Hebrew, and they were, they were sucking eggs, this class. I mean, they were just, they were horrible. They were terrible, you know. So I'm giving them a test, and, uh, 
This one student, I asked him to pray. He was part of Risen King, so I said, oh, hey, yeah, pray for us in this, on this, over this test because these people need a miracle. And uh, so he gets up and he raises his hand to heaven and says, oh, Lord, let us get what we deserve today. If we've studied, then let us remember it. You know, let us... Yeah, I said, stop it, stop it. You're the only one here who wants justice. These people want grace. They want a miracle. They want mercy. You need to pray that somehow God will, by osmosis, give them understanding. See, you can't pray like that when you realize, I don't measure up. You can't suddenly decide that somebody else needs justice, but you need mercy. If you're going to claim, if you're going to live in the mercy of God, you can't then call down thunder from heaven on somebody else who needs mercy from you. Or else what happens is, you're going to call down that same thunder on you. Because if you want justice, friends, if you want revenge... If you want everybody to get what they deserve, then you get to get what you deserve. And that would be stupid on your part. It would be a lack of understanding. See, mercy by definition has to be given voluntarily or it's not mercy. It's justice. And so, a holy God that we are dealing with, the God who's revealed Himself in the Bible, is both just and merciful, but He will never be unjust. So if you want to deal with him on the basis of justice, he will deal with you on the basis of justice. But you will have no standing. But if you want to deal with him on the basis of mercy, then you've got to begin to realize you have to deal with everybody else on the basis of mercy as well. Because if you're hoping for mercy, you have to give mercy. Your inability to give mercy shows that you have not received mercy. See, we live by His mercy. And to understand that changes the way you look at everything. How mad you get, how frustrated, how full of rage, how impatient. Particularly when you understand the curriculum of the Holy Spirit is actually to put the pressure on you so that all that junk inside of you comes up. Well, what is this divine judgment then that, that is in the Scriptures and, and, and is it real? Well, Jesus really makes it clear in this passage that we read that the divine judgment of God is very real. Now, if you listen to the whole passage as we read it together, you realize at the end, Jesus is so tender. And He is so sweet at the end. He says, come and learn from Me. For I am, I am humble and lowly. I am meek and lowly. There, there's, a, there's a sweetness and there's a tenderness. But in the same teaching to the same group of people, he starts off by saying and pronouncing curses over the cities where he did his greatest miracles. Now, you see, the problem with Bible translation, I'm going to be careful because I see little kids in here and I can't be quite as free as I want to be right now. The problem in biblical translation is they're always polite. Okay, so this doesn't sound that bad. Woe unto you. This sounds kind of religious, you know, it just sounds sort of, oh, wow, it's really, wow, there's a, there's a lot of woe going on there, you know, kind of thing. You know, that is not what that means, friends. Now, I know you're of 
you're so you're pure as the driven snow on your minds, but he's using the D word here. He he is bringing damnation on the. He's he's literally saying the word. He's not. I mean, it's polite. We go whoa. He's not saying whoa. He is cursing those cities. Now, he doesn't have to put God in front of the curse because he is God. You understand? You, when you do it, you're calling on God to curse somebody because you can't do it yourself. He's doing it because he is God. Are you catching it? Now, I know I'm being polite because I see little kids and... I don't want them going home saying, Pastor Mike said it's okay. Don't try this at home. I'm a professional. <laughs> but you get it, right? He is raining judgment on those cities, friends. And what happens is people don't even take this to heart. And here's the question. How can wrath of such intensity and yet love of such kindness and tenderness and gentleness exists in the one person, Jesus. And what you have to understand is these two things, the wrath of Jesus here and the tenderness of Jesus are not in conflict. They actually establish one another. If you do not understand the justice of God, you will never appreciate the love of God. Uh, a woman asked, I was talking to a pastor, and she said to him, I'm a spiritual person. I don't need this Jesus stuff. And so he asked her this question. He said, you, you believe in God then, right? She said, yeah. He said, do you make mistakes? Well, everybody makes mistakes, of course. She said, does your God forgive you? And the woman said, yeah, my God forgives you, me. And of course he forgives me. And he asked, what did it cost your God to forgive you? And she said, well, nothing. And he said, well, look, your God is a made-up God. Your God is the God of your imagination because the God of the Bible is a holy God. And when you sin against Him, you sin against His holiness, you sin against His justice, you sin against His purity, and, you, and it is so serious, it is such a serious thing that God Himself, Jesus Himself, the judge of all the living and the dead, the righteous judge, Himself became judged in order that you might be forgiven. What did it cost my God to forgive me? It cost Him the life of His own Son. So then you begin to look and say, well, the love that that God, that made-up God, that imaginary God, that love costs nothing. That love means nothing. That love weighs nothing. But when you look at how the holiness of God and the justice of God is satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are forgiven, and you realize what it cost Him to forgive you, then you realize this love has weight. This is, this is intentional love. This is calculated love. This is love that will not let you go. It won't fly away. It has rooted and grounded itself in eternity. See, the, the judgment of God and the love of God arise out of the same place in God. It arises from His goodness. Now, this is important that you get this, friends. 
Because the truth is, when you're angry and you're saying, it's not fair, it's probably not coming from your goodness. It's probably coming from your woundedness. It's coming from a place of pride. When you're, when you're saying, it's just, it, nothing ever works for me, nothing ever turns out for me, you're probably not really coming from a place of goodness. You're probably coming from your place of selfishness. You see, what this is saying is that when God judges, and this is why those of us who are believers, why we must forgive even those who have offended us in deep ways, is because His judgment, even of those who have betrayed us and hurt us, His judgment will come out of His goodness. Our judgment will not come out of goodness. It will come out of our selfishness and our woundedness and our own impatience. And it will always be overreaction in some way. God will never overreact. His judgment comes out of the same place that His love does. It comes out of His permeating goodness. That's why you can trust. Are you, do you, it is so beautiful when you realize this. But you, you might say to me, well, if He's so good, how can He get so angry? Well, if you're really loving someone out of the goodness of yourself and they reject your love they resist your love they re refuse your wisdom they refuse your resources does it not follow that that would make you angry are any parents in this room i mean i'm sure all your children are the perfect children i mean i have i have done many things at times in my kid's life out of anger or impatience or whatever, but I've also done things out of the love that I have for them, and I have done it out of the experience of life that I've tried to share with them, and they have rejected or resisted and said, I'm going to do it my way. And I still love them, but I am ticked off with them <laughs> that they are wasting their talents, their time, you know, they're connecting themselves with people who are no good for them. Do you, do you get the analogy? His love is never devoid of His justice. And His justice is never devoid of His love. See, now this last one on this page, we got a little more to go, but this last one on this page, I, I really want you to get this. You see, the fact that Jesus is the judge, the fact that He is just, makes His invitation for you to rest a weighty and completely faithful invitation. Because He who cursed the cities is saying to you, if you will come to Me, what is true of them will never be true of you. If you will come to Me and yoke yourself to Me, then you will never ever have to wrestle, lose, be overcome again because I will give you rest. <laughs> See, you've you got to understand this. I, haven't you ever been just furious before? Just so angry, just seeing red, you know, just so upset. And your friends come to you and say, calm down. Calm down, calm down, calm down. And you, you know they have no way of helping you. They're just scared of you right now. 
They're just not wanting to be around somebody that's as emotionally upset as you are. So they're saying, it'll be all right. They have no idea. They have no way of really helping you. I mean, hopefully they'll stay with you through the whole thing. But they don't know the end of this circumstance. They don't know how it's going to turn out. The, you, you, have you ever had that? You're just so worried. You're so upset. And they're all, It'll be all right. Don't worry. You just want to punch them because they don't know. They have no idea. They just don't like, the, they don't like the intensity of the emotion. They feel uncomfortable with your discomfort. So when they say, I'm going to give you rest, they're idiots. <laughs> they can't do anything for you. It's all about them, truthfully. They just don't like how upset you are. They don't like how angry you are or whatever. See, but when Jesus, who is the righteous judge, who knows the end of your life from the beginning, when He says, come and rest, don't worry, calm down, when He says it, He already knows how it's going to turn out. He's the judge. You understand? When He says, don't worry, you go, okay, He's got me covered. And on top of that, He has all power. All wisdom. He's allowing what's happening for the destiny that He has for you, which is a desired future. But you and I, we keep saying, no, I'll do it myself, Lord. I'll worry. Don't worry, I'll worry. I'll stay angry. You know, I'm really, I'm really courageous when I'm angry, Lord. You know, just don't bother me right now. Don't bother me with prayer. Don't bother, no, no. And he says, look, come unto me when you're worried. Come unto me when you're so upset you cannot see straight. Come unto me because I'm the only one who knows how this will turn out. And I am gentle and I am lowly and I will teach you how to get to the other side even of death. Please get this one. Because you see, because He could curse the cities, He can say to you, I can give you rest. I don't have another friend who can do that. So then, we're saying that this divine judgment is real, that was coming. You know, many... Many people in our society, and it's important that we understand the, the culture we're living in, many uh, reject the entire idea of a just God or a God who weighs everything that we do. There's a, there started a movement in the 50s by a psychologist named Albert Ellis, and the movement among psych psychotherapists particularly that he started said, devout faith is basically an unhealthy trait in a human being. He said, it is, it is disastrous and unhealthy if you refrain from doing things that you really want to do because God doesn't want you to do it. He says that anything that has to do with devout faith is too restrictive. It's a loss of freedom. Now, you may never have heard of Albert Ellis, but if you look at what he taught, it's all in our society. But think about this. In anything that's really meaningful in life, there are restrictions. For example... When you get married, you literally say to your spouse, uh, I'm going to keep myself from all others and give myself only to you. I have yet to officiate a wedding where the, where the spouses said, I'm marrying you, but I'm going to sleep with everybody else. That would not be a wedding. You know, that would not be a marriage. You would not, you would not any of us sign up for 
an unrestricted love because it wouldn't be love. But what has happened is there's such a hatred of the justice of God that what has become the standard, what has become the highest standard in our society is the human heart. My heart is the judge of all that is true and right. My heart is the judge of what is good and what is bad and all these things. Listen, friends, when your heart is the judge, what a scary proposition that is. Because if you're in any way honest, what you have wanted at times, as soon as you get it, you went, I didn't want that. And, and what you thought yesterday is always seen as stupid five years from now. I mean, all you have to do, I mean, one, this is a funny objective test, but if you go back and you read the opinion editorials of the New York Times in the 60s, you'll go, who were those idiots? Well, they're the same ones writing today who think that they're geniuses today. What happens to us is we, we, just don't, we never really learn that you cannot have an anchor in your own heart. You must have an anchor outside of yourself. You cannot have a standard that is only a standard that comes from your own conscience. But what's happening in our society is basically people are saying that anything Christian is oppressive. It's coming from a harsh, judging God. But here's the thing. In spite of all this modern thinking that's going on, people are still riddled with guilt. And even when you take away all the do's and don'ts out of our society, people have a, a, a constant sense of shame. Why is that? Well, because there's a standard that's higher than the standard of our heart, our home, our ethnicity, our, our nationality. There's a standard because there's a court and a judge which we will all stand before. See, Jesus says that divine justice has, and divine judgment has a basis. There's a standard. There's a bar. He says to, to the modern cities that he was cursing, he said, in the past, other cities have endured judgment. He talks about Sodom. And, and many of us know Sodom as, as a place of sexual immorality and sexual uh, uh, you know, corruption and stuff like that. And that was a big part of why Sodom was judged. But Ezekiel, the prophet of God, was told this. It's not just for their sexual immorality, Ezekiel said. He said they were judged for their arrogance. They were judged for their haughtiness. In other words, they believed they had achieved something, and in their independence from God, they believed that they were self-sufficient. And then, and then God spoke to them through Ezekiel, and he said, not only were you arrogant, but you oppressed the poor. You took all of your resources and you hoarded them and you kept them for yourself while you oppressed those who were without and underserved. See, Sodom wasn't simply judged because of sexual immorality. Sodom, the sexual immorality was more or less a symptom of a brokenness in terms of pride and injustice. And God judged that city. And that city is where the whole idea of fire and brimstone comes from. Because that's what rained down and destroyed that city. And so there's a standard. And when Jesus lays out the standard, and, and if you really read Jesus carefully, you'll realize no religion satisfies. For example, he says, you've heard it said that you should not murder. But I say to you, don't hate your brother. 
If you hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. Now maybe you're one of those phony, fake Christians who uses things like this, this kind of Christian, I don't hate anybody, I just don't like them. <laughs> you hate them, come on. <laughs> come on. You'll never get free till you actually be honest. Generosity. Look at what Jesus said. If somebody asks you for your coat, give them your cloak. I don't even want to give them a quarter. Come on. Somebody comes up and says, give me a quarter. I'm like, get out of my face. I don't even want to look at them. Right? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. You know, steal, we won't even go there. He talks about. But let's talk about what he says about love. He says, love your neighbor. Now, see, he's already meddling at that point because your neighbor is somebody who's not from your ethnicity. It's somebody who's not of your race. It's somebody who's not from your culture. It's somebody who's not from your tribe. He's telling you you've got to love somebody that you naturally maybe have no affinity for and no bond with. And if that's not bad enough, then he goes, love your enemy. Pretty much tells you love everybody, right? I remember I first came as a professor to Nyack College, and I was teaching on Jesus' teaching on love, and they went, well, I just, I'm never going to love everybody, the student said to me. I said, well, that's your problem, then. Because Jesus says, you gotta, if they breathe, you've got to love them. That's about everybody, right? So Jesus, in his teaching, in his teaching, he goes beyond behavior, and he says how you ought to be as a human being. And, and, and think about this with me. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That we would live without hatred of each other? That we would never have to worry about anybody stealing anything that I care about? That people would be so generous that if you were in need, you would immediately see that need met because nobody would allow you to be in need? Would it be an amazing society where we really, really loved one another as Jesus taught us to love? Wouldn't that be a place to live? And yet at the same time, isn't it uh, the reality how short we fall? See, what you don't understand, many of us don't understand, is you and I are exhibiting the symptoms of the reality of the judgment of God long before we ever die. All of our workaholism is an attempt to avoid judgment. Every perfectionist is an attempt to avoid judgment. Every anxiety that you have is an attempt to not fall short, to use anxiety as a power source. Every time you get angry and are filled with rage and frustration, you're revealing that you are in touch with the fact that there will be a judgment. Are you hearing me? So what does this say to us about this divine judgment? It says this. When you really see Jesus, I mean, I, I'm not talking about the religious Jesus, the iconic Jesus, but you really, really meet Jesus. Then you become very conscious of the judgment of God and you become conscious of the heaviness of that judgment and you realize, woe is me. But when you really, really see Jesus, then you start to hear his invitation. And he invi invites you, come unto me, learn from me, and I will give you rest. It gives to you, and rest here is, is an inner security. 
Do you understand the whole Bible is written so that you may know that you know that you know God and that you have a security in Him that is unshakable because rest means that you no longer have to you no longer have to be the judge of your own life. See, Jesus is the judge, but he's also the one who was judged. He who knew no sin became sin. He who is actually righteous became legally sin for you. So that now you who are actually sinful might become legally righteous in him. Are, are you hearing that? See, that's the basis of my security is that the judge became judged and he rendered full satisfaction for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame. See, apart from Jesus, it is not crazy for you to say, I feel guilty. Apart from Jesus, it's not really crazy. It's actually true when you say, I'm ashamed of myself. But when you come to Jesus and you see the righteousness of God in Christ, and you receive His finished work, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Awesome. Well, so, got to kind of balance this out a little bit. If you, if you or I think that because of our own righteousness or because our religious activity or whatever it is, if we think we have a claim or leverage on God's love, then you'll never really be changed. If you understand his, judge, his justice, then you'll realize that the Father rained down the judgment that you deserved on His own Son. And really and truly, the sin underneath the sin is really simple. The greatest injustice you ever do to the Father, the most ungracious thing that you ever do to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is to reject the love that He's offered you in His Son. That's the sin underneath the sin. You see, anytime, think through this with me, anytime you make mistakes and you have not yet experienced the love of the Father, that mistake is devastating. It's judgment against you. Every criticism is destroying you. Every negative attention, all of these things are triggering within you that feeling, I'm condemned, I'm judged. But when you really have received the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are truly forgiven. It is a true forgiveness. The rest of God. You don't, have to, you don't have to fear judgment and you don't have to be the judge anymore. And the truth is that once you have truly experienced forgiveness and you realize that it was on the basis of grace and mercy, you cannot hold grudges against others. So the freedom that comes from being forgiven now is a freedom that you give because you become forgiving. Because if you've understood you don't want justice, you want mercy, then you're not going to want to give others justice. You're going to give them mercy and even go so far as God has gone and give them grace. And when you do, it's incredibly, it is incredibly freeing. But this is the main freedom. is He's the judge. And you're not. And you get to rest. In other words, you don't need workaholism because he's the judge. You don't need perfectionism because he's the judge. You don't need anxiety because he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give 
you rest. You understand, when you go to anxiety, you're not coming to Him. You're going to them. So how do I escape this judgment? Well, it's really kind of a simple thing. He just said, repent. He said, why is it that these, these cities are being cursed? Because they didn't repent. You know what repentance is? It's coming to the place of saying, I might be wrong. Let's practice that. Ready? I might be wrong. <laughs> Some of you, that's the first time you ever said that. Your husband or your wife is going, really, you just said that? Holy cow, church is worth coming to. But it's more than that. It's realizing what I'm doing is not working. And if you don't come to that place, the truth is, if you don't come to the place and you try to merge your life and your works with Jesus, it'll never work because you're bringing your pollution, your corruption, your, your sin. And He wants you to be righteous 100%. And the only way you can be 100% righteous is if you absolutely, unconditionally surrender to Jesus and then He becomes your righteousness. As long as you think you have something to add to this, you will never receive this. See, all of us have working philosophies. And the working philosophy of our life is, is really what we're living for. And one of the three of the biggest ones in our area are professional status. I want to achieve something so that I can be something. Physical attractiveness. I want to look a certain way so I can be something. And then many of us want material comfort, so I want to have something so I can be something. Here's the issue. God is opposed to your idols. They have his place. He will stunt. He will, he will stymie. He will, he will hinder your idols. He will not resource your idolatry, friends. And when you're angry at God, really what you should be angry with are your idols. So what I'm saying to you when you repent is this. When you reflect on this, when you think of His justice and you think of His mercy and His grace, then you need to stop every self-saving endeavor in your life and come to Jesus for real. See, the, the reason repentance is so big is because you can, you can work for religion, you can be religious and never have to renounce your pride. Because you can demand justice, friends. You can demand justice and never be humble. But you cannot ask for mercy and not humble yourself. You cannot receive grace and not humble yourself. And what I find with most people is it's not that they don't think Christianity is true. They think it's too hard. Because it means you've got to give up control. I can't convince you of any of this. I'm trying to convince you of the consequences of not following this. But here's the deal. If you want to save yourself, go for it. But you know what you'll stand before? The justice of God. But if you allow Jesus to be your Savior, then the judge who was judged for you now becomes your lawyer. He hasn't lost a case in the court of heaven. Because the judge being the lawyer is kind of a conflict of interest there. If God be for you, who can be against you? The only one who can lay a charge against you, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. And if he died for you, what charge is he going to bring against you? Does this make sense to you today?
Will you stand with me? All right, I have to cut five minutes off the next two. Sorry about that. My wife says, I love to fly the plane. I just don't like to land it too much. Are you with me, though? You understand how important... This is life and death, what I'm talking about. You see, many people are stuck in churches and they never met Jesus. There are many people who are saying, well, justice is whatever I want it to be. But the same Jesus who said, come to me, is the same Jesus who said, curse Capernaum, curse Chorazin. You've got to realize, he's the only one who can speak rest over you. If you don't know him personally, today is the day to know him. Let's just pray together. Would you say these words with me? Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as the judge of the living and the dead. I acknowledge the reality of your justice and of your divine judgment. But this day, I receive afresh the judge as the one who was judged for me. My sins were so great that you had to go to the cross. But your love is so great that you chose to go to the cross. I receive forgiveness. I choose to forgive. And I am no longer the judge. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.